of you who have been here for a while know that my first message in a new section kind of lays a foundation in which we build off of over the next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven or eight weeks. <laughs> Maybe nine. <laughs> I don't Let's pray and then we'll read 11 through 17. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, your ways are not our ways. And Father, yet um, it is through your mercy and through your grace that you sustain us, that you guide us. Lord, that you rebuke us, comfort us, and counsel us. And Father, I just with a grateful heart this morning, say thank you as I prepare for this text and think about my brother Paul and where he was in his life at the writing of this letter, it still overwhelms me. And Father, I pray that for my brothers and my sisters this day, that Father, you will give them ears to hear, you give them eyes to see what is laid before us is the mastery of your word. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk worthy. Help us to see your glory in every circumstance. To your praise. Amen. Verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are manifest also in your conscience. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this. That one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. This is a fascinating stretch right here. And I shared with you, um, and I'll keep bringing to your remembrance, that this letter is written for ministry. As we minister um, here's what will happen. Here's what ministry is about. Here's what your focus needs to be. Uh, and then, you know, I, and I can just take it back to just last week when it is, what is our ambition to be pleasing to him? And what you find is, and, it, and it's fascinating in this day and age, and, and sometimes when we kind of stand in awe or in shock of quote-unquote church scandals, um, and yet they've been going on for a long time. It's not new. All right. But, but, but one of the things that you have to pay attention to is that when you see people in ministry, 
manipulating situations to their benefit, okay, understand there's a problem. Okay, please understand that. And, and when I watch what we, I even shared this this morning in our Sunday school class, when you hear glory, the word glorified, or to his glory, all right, when you hear that today, most of the time, what is happening is, is that they're focusing the ministry on what they've accomplished, Okay, you know, I started out with five families in my basement, and now I have a mega church. Okay, um, and all of a sudden you start saying, well, wait a minute here. But uh, one of the things that I've watched in just the years that I've been here in Castle Rock is um, something that is missing that you see in the title of this series. Integrity. Integrity. It is easy in this day and age to compromise a little bit here or maybe a little bit there so I can attract this or I can do this. And what happens when you step into that? It will not end. Uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote a series called The Downgrade Controversy. And it says that you're on the pinnacle of God And when you step off, then the downgrade begins. And I see that in the evangelical community now is that, you know, we try to clothe it in reaching the lost. And what we end up doing is compromising the gospel. And once you do that, integrity is out the door. All right. When you think about different parts of our lives and, and, and moving into this section, it's dealing with integrity. That's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. Okay. If you look up the definition of it, you will see that it is a quality of being undivided. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? It is a quality of being true to one ethical standard. All right. Um, In this text, the focus is on honesty, sincerity, and it is so honest and so sincere that it cannot be corrupted. Okay, Uh, it's like uh, the little problem you can get into when someone comes up to you, uh, perhaps your wife or a woman will come up and says, does this. Make me look fat. Okay. What's your integrity say? <laughs> I don't have a helmet on. <laughs> That's what my integrity says. <laughs> okay. But a person who is a person of integrity um, is someone who's without hypocrisy. Okay. Um, person with integrity is someone who is completely and in every aspect of life constant. You will not sway their stated convictions. Okay. Do you realize how rare that is? 
Because we can be swayed. You know, there's just emotions can sway us. We can maybe are not established well enough in truth to be able to stand in it. Or maybe there's a mindset that is out there now that if I can get these people to like me, then they'll like my Jesus. I guess the easiest way to define um, integrity would be it's the opposite of a hypocrite. Okay? A hypocrite, let's be realistic, lacks integrity. This is the person, and, and we've all been exposed to it, the one that says one thing and does another. That's tough. That's, that's why the Bible warns us in James, not many of you should be teachers. Okay, because once you say it, once it falls out your mouth, uh-oh, now what? And you know what? I was kind of going through this as I've been bringing in information. Um, I can't think of anywhere more important than in the church, in ministry, the greatest need for integrity. Okay? There's a whole... We used to have a funny saying that says, there's a whole bunch of people talking about heaven, but not many are going. Okay? And, and if you watch them, you can see them. They may have a good, solid theology, but then you watch their lives and say, their lives aren't matching their theology. Therefore, you will look at their ministry, and most of their ministries, if they're even doing anything, it is purely by manipulation. You know, if I can sway this emotion, or if I can get goosebumps on this one, or if I can get them to do this, or if I can get them to do that, then, you know, as I shared this morning that it used to be that the Baptists believed that if a person got saved, you needed to make them a Sunday school teacher. And you did it right away, that way they'd have to get in their Bibles. And I'm sitting there going, well, that sounds kind of scary to me. And then I looked at the condition of the Baptist church and said, oh, now it's clear. (laughs) Any pastor, elder, evangelist, any servant of God, any person who has any inkling of spiritual leadership must maintain integrity. You're not credible. You're just not credible. Because if you're in spiritual leadership, now listen, please understand when I speak of spiritual leadership, I'm not talking about just elders. If you have children at home, you're a spiritual leader. If you have a wife, you're a spiritual leader. The mother is the spiritual leader over the children at home, teaching them the ways of the Lord. So you're always there, and what you're doing is that you are setting an example to be followed. And let me tell you something, I love every one of you. I have seen some of your fruit. They are acting just like you. And a lot of times you got kids, you're like, oh my God. My son is at home, and we've had some very deep 
conversations. And, and I'm not trying to swim or anything. I just give him answers. You know how I am. You ask me the question, we'll give you the answer. And uh, he left this morning to go meet somebody, get some breakfast or something. And when he walked out the door, it dawned on me just like my little epiphany. Poof. God, he's just like his father. Okay? <laughs> you just... Uh, I was hoping <laughs> to stave off some of this, but God it says, Can, I couldn't do it for you. I ain't doing it for him. So, I want to share with you a text, very dear to me. It's kind of spooky, actually. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence and it is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Now, if it stopped right there, I could stand with the hallelujah choruses. The problem is he don't stop there. Okay, he says, dwell on the things that are good. Anybody struggle with that? Then look what he says. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, I don't care about anybody in this room, but if that right there don't break your heart, then you need to get saved. Because what is the Great Commission? Make disciples. Make learners. I want people acting and teaching just like what? (laughs) Just like them. And you know what is amazing about that? What if we go through over our, what if it's our ambition? What we have done in the body, whether good or bad. You know what that means? As we are walking through this life, we are making disciples and some of them are going to break your heart. There is an example to follow. There are many that are out there that lack integrity. They want to be an example. But it's always been a problem in the church. Always. Of people in quote unquote spiritual leadership. Or wanting to be in spiritual leadership. Who lack integrity. Who lack integrity. This is extremely, extremely important people. This is more important to know this than whether a trichotomous dispensationalist is prone to Gnosticism. And everybody's like, look, that's what I said the first time I heard it. And the answer is no. (laughs) Or it can be yes. (laughs) Depends on the trichotomist. I I share that because I want you to realize it is easy to, 
to sit on the sidelines and say, I'm not sure about the integrity of that person, or I'm not sure about the integrity of that person, or I'm not sure about that person. But you know what? Who will stand before the judgment seat of Christ? All of us. So you know what? I'm, I'm glad if you're concerned about my integrity. But remember, I'm the one who took you to Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Okay? My biggest concern is not really what you think. But what does my Lord think? Okay? Jesus, dealing with the religious elite, speaks of this. When I think about integrity, I think about it in two ways. There's the positive side of it, and there's the negative side of it. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23, we see a scathing negative side. Verse 13 says, woe to you. You know what that means, right? Stop, horse. No. <laughs> no. Woe is cursed. Now think about what just happened right there. If you've got a red letter Bible, guess who said it? Jesus said it. You know what he just said? I have cursed you. You know what that means? Grace has left the building. You're done. Look what he says. Woe to you, scribes. You know what the scribes are? They're the lawyers. They are the experts of God's law. Woe to you, scribes. Woe to you and Pharisees. And I mean, we can look at it and say, but hey, we're kind of brutal. They keep wanting to heap burdens on the people, but won't lift a finger to help them carry it. They know all the rules and the regulations, the do's and the don'ts. But then he makes this statement. Hypocrites. Because of you, shut off the kingdom of heaven from people and do not enter yourselves. Nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Why? Because they are saying one thing and... Doing another. Hypocrites. Literally, the Greek term there means actors. It had to do with the people. You ever seen that where they put hold the mask up? And it may have like a smiley face on it or something like that. And behind it, you don't know what their face is doing. You don't know if they're sticking their tongue out at you or what they're doing. But they'd hold that little thing up. And, Look, he's smiling. I think he's happy. He's a hypocrite. That's what he's referring to here. Then he makes this statement. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Prayer warriors. Prayer warriors. These people, these experts lack integrity. Okay. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. Because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Why? Because you're actors. You're hypocrites. 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisee. Hypocrites. You tithe your mint, your dill, your cumin. He says, you take the smallest thing in the world, make sure you give a tenth of it. Detail-oriented. But you're hypocrites. 
Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisee, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. You know what a whitewashed tomb is, right? Still got dead bones inside. It may be pretty, but the contents is dead. Why? Because you're a hypocrite. Verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You build tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. But you're still hypocrites. But I want you to think about it because he kind of sums it up in verse 33. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Okay, well, I can tell you this right now. With the seven woes that you see here, there's no escape. Okay. When Jesus Christ curses you, see you bye. Okay, and then he gives them here and he says, you serpents, you know what the serpent is, right? The father of lies, the deceivers. Is that not what a hypocrite is? I mean, when I read through this section right here in Matthew's gospel, um, I kind of describe it as a new level of rebuke. <laughs> Rebuke on steroids. These are people in spiritual leadership, but they are people in spiritual leadership who lack integrity. And God curses people in spiritual leadership who lack integrity. We have seen the scandals. Here in our own community, the leader lacked integrity and it blew up. It blew up. They built a nice monument, but had dead bones inside. I think it's what's—it's just simple to say they do not live the truth that they proclaim. Okay, and it becomes evident. Okay, that's kind of the negative side. Everybody feel pretty cheerful. I, I mean, that's almost as good as Ezekiel sixteen, isn't it? Just make you, ah, oh, yeah, man, you got babies out in the ditch and blood all over it. Yay. Let me see if I can give you a positive side of it. First Kings chapter 9. Beginning at verse 2. The Lord appeared to Solomon the second time. First time was in Gibeon. This is the second time. As he had appeared to him in Gibeon. See, that's what it says. You guys thought I was making that up. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house. This is at the conclusion of the building of the temple. I have consecrated this house, which you have built by putting my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Okay, then verse four. As for you. If you will walk before me as your father, David, walked in integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I commanded you and will keep my statutes and my ordinance, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. Just as I promised your father, David, 
you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Doesn't that seem odd to you? I want you to walk with the integrity of your father, David. David? David. You're talking about King David, the shepherd boy guy? Yeah, I want you to walk with that integrity. Because if you're really honest with yourself, David made some serious mistakes, but when he sinned, he realized to whom he had sinned against. Okay, and it was his heart and the steadfastness of his heart that brought him through all those things. Maintain that integrity. If you maintain that integrity, you shall be blessed. If you step into hypocrisy, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Um, I want to show you a model. A model that I classify a model of integrity. Okay? And... uh, You know him, but I'm not sure that you've ever really paid attention to it because there's some other things that are kind of going on in his life. You sort of like, oh, gee. Okay, the book of Job. Chapter one, verse one, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning from evil. Okay, Job was a noble, godly man. Doesn't say he was perfect, didn't say he walked on water, healed the dead, or anything like that. It just says, you know what? He was upright, he was blameless, and he had a fear of God. Okay? A little interlude happens. If you move over to chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was the day... The sons of God came to presence of them, present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. All right? Here's what happens. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Then Satan answered, the Lord said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. You know what that is, right? Play straight into what Peter says. He is as a roaring lion looking for someone to Devour. So he's sort of been doing this for a while is what I'm trying to get you to look at. All right. The Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? Okay. He knows what he's doing. What is he doing? He's looking for someone to devour. God steps up and says, hey, have you ever thought about trying to eat Job? Gosh, I hope he never says that about me. I hope he tells Satan, would you ignore Terry? (laughs) He doesn't know what he's doing. Leave him alone. Okay? But see, God has a plan. Satan is trying to prove the... Silliness of saving faith. God is preparing to prove the truth of saving faith. Okay? Poor Job. 
Now then, you know the story after this, right? Do I need to read it? He loses his family, all of his kids. Loses his property. And all of his ability to generate money. And he does it really fast. So he's preparing funerals for his kids. He's preparing, what am I going to do for a living? Okay, and it came upon him in the form of a whirlwind. It came upon him in the form of thieves. But basically, within a less than a week, he has lost everything except his wife. You know what's amazing to, about that? You take any given one of us right now, what would happen if in the course of three days you lost everything? All right, and you, you'd say, well, I still got my health. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. He started getting sores. It's translated boils. Okay. All I can honestly say from the Hebrew text is excruciatingly painful. After losing everything. But do you know what is amazing about Job? He still holds fast to his faith. You look at what he went through is unbelievable. I mean, nasty is an understatement. Then we have this great phrase that everybody knows part of. Verse 9. Then his wife said to him. And we all know what it says. Nope, you missed it. Look what it says. Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. See, we know. Do you still hold fast? Why don't you just curse God and die? Hold fast what? See, that's what integrity is. This is a truth that I will not be moved on. You can't. This is the basis of my honesty. This is the basis of my sincerity. This is who I am. And regardless, even if I'm sitting here covered in sores with the complete loss of all of my earthly possessions, I'm not moving Nasty. He would hold on to his integrity. Then you have to hear what Job has to say because uh, the rest of the book is, uh, as Charles Spurgeon would call it, verbiage. Everybody, everybody's opinion. Then Job in 27 says this. Then Job continued his discourse and said, beginning in verse 1, As God lives... Who has taken away my right and the Almighty who has embittered my soul for as long as I have life in me and the breath of God is in my nostrils. My lips certainly will not speak unjustly, nor will my tongue mutter deceit. Far be it from me that I should declare you right till I die. I will not put away my integrity from me. 
I will hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach any of my days. See how the right standing with God and saving faith all fit into integrity? Not moving. Not only is he not moving, he's not even going to agree with his critics. He's not even going to listen to the bitterness of his soul. All that he owned was lost. Death of his entire family except for his wife. And he would not cry out against God. Even as it was all happening, the sores, the boils, the physical pain ain't moving. I'm a man of integrity. This is where I stand. This is my convictions. And I don't care what's going on. He lived what he believed. See, I mean, I mean, even when I look at Solomon being told to walk in the integrity of heart that his fathers did. Now, do you understand something? David had to learn the integrity. Did you get saved and he immediately had a complete handle on the theology of God? And normally, even if you had to sit down and memorize the book, you still have to put it to test. Okay, and that's where the fun begins. All right, because it is through the testing you start trusting, then you start seeing God's integrity. It is imputed into you because of his righteousness and you start walking in the integrity of, oh, of God. God is faithful. He can be trusted. How many times, anybody here doubted God? Today? (laughs) And yet he proves himself faithful over and over and over. So what should his ministers do? Let's move over another book. The book of Psalms. Psalms, we'll start with 25. David had his issues, did he not? Had a few, shall we call them, problems. But David took it to the Lord even in the middle of it. I mean, even when he lied to Nathan. That went over well. Okay. Make a note. Don't lie to a prophet. (laughs) Just an idea. Look what he says. Verse 21 of chapter 25. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. Really? Let the honesty and sincerity of my heart and the uprightness of you preserve me. Chapter 26, verse 1. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. See, Integrity is going to be based on what you put your trust in and you can't be moved from what you put your trust in. Walk in integrity. If you move on over to chapter 41, you'll see David again. Verse 
verse 12, 41, 12, book of Psalms. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and you set me in your presence forever. It is by God's grace, David understood. It is by God's strength, David understood. And it is manifested because he is a man of integrity. Why? The world is full of hypocrites. Have you ever heard that say? Well, I was going to go to church, but it's just full of... Tragically, there are a bunch. And it shouldn't be that way. Because the world is is a hypocrite about everything. All right? The church should stand out against that. And yet we get spiritual leaders who get caught with their hands in the proverbial cookie jar and they look like hypocrites. I mean, the guy down at New Life, he got busted. He's adding against homosexuality. And so what did he get caught doing? Well, something there about integrity seems to be missing. Well, he was one of the most narcissistic men that I've ever seen. But he was a true spiritual leader. Hello? Somewhere in there, it don't fit. As my stepdad used to say, that dog won't hunt. But you see it, and I look at David. Listen, David's done some horrible stuff. Don't kid yourself. You know what got David into trouble? When they went to war, he decided he'd just send them out and he'd hang out at the palace. You know what I think? Our federal government, we go to war, they should lead. I bet we could narrow this thing down a bit. But they get in the same trouble as King David did. Why? Wonder where the integrity went. See what I mean? Cruise on over. He understood that his integrity came from God. If you go on over to Psalm 78. Psalm 78 is a little bit on the long side. But that's okay. We have time. Go to Psalm 78. My page is stuck together. Verse 70. Okay, remember this. He also chose David, his servant, took him from the sheepfolds, the shepherd boy, from the care of the ewes with suckling lambs. He brought him to what? Shepherd Jacob, his people. Now think about that for a second. Okay, took the boy from the shepherd field who overlooked the sheep, the ewes, and the suckling lambs. And he says, now I want you to lead Jacob's people. Okay. And Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to integrity of his heart. And he guided them with his skillful hands. See, the foundation of David's work was based on the integrity of his heart. And he had the skill. 
So when you look at spiritual leadership, you've got to look at it two ways. Is there integrity? Do they have any skill? Kind of fascinating, actually. I mean, I can look at just those three verses and say this is the greatest single commentary on the life of any spiritual leader, period. It's a great statement on leadership. Skill and integrity. One, to proclaim the truth demands that one live it. To call others to follow truth demand that one obeys the truth themselves. That alone makes a ministry, and that is what we should be in God-honoring, Christ-exalting, Holy Spirit-empowered service to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Psalm 101. Verse 6. This translation says, My eyes shall fall upon the faithful of the land, and they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. You know what the actual Hebrew translation for blameless way is? Way of integrity. Did you see what just happened there? If you're to be a minister to the Lord, what must be foundational? Integrity. God expects to be ministered to by a man of integrity. The people of God should inspect that too. The church has every right for servants who live what they proclaim. Critical. Without hypocrisy. There's no acting. There are too many in ministry today who, for lack of a better description, are nothing but whitewashed tombs. They look fancy. Look at it. Wow. Why? I get these surveys all the time. And I, whoever got me on this list, curse you. No. <laughs> But I get all of these surveys, and they said, when it comes to professional individuals, do you know who spends most time on pornographic sites? Clergy! What? I know guys right now who are in pulpits who have the most orthodox theology you could ever dream of, and they have people put passwords on their computer so they can't get on their computer without their secretary or an associate getting them in. And then if they want to check and see what they logged on to, they'll check. Step away! Step away! There's nothing of integrity in that. Well, but I'm protected by the password. Then throw your computer away. Gee, many crickets, are you out of your minds? How can you proclaim truth and say, but I have to have my computer protected? Then don't use it. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard of in my life. 
And they act like, well, but I'm spiritual because... Well, what if they don't check your history? Nuts. I know four pastors right now who were expelled from their churches for that very thing. And you know what they did? Started other churches. And they get you know a big group from the church. Oh, just go over here. Do you understand what he just did? Oh yeah, but it's you know it's a fleeting thing. Fleeting thing. How do I believe what you say? Why do I trust you? Whitewashed tombs. Living a standard that is beneath what God's standard is. And how do you call people to walk in God's standard? You can. It's easy. Be a hypocrite. And then you can go back with a little smile on your face saying, if they love me, they'll love my Jesus and hang out in Matthew 23. Cursed are you scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. The one who serves the Lord, there must be a reputation of integrity. An honesty. A sincerity. Listen, this is critical. This is absolutely critical. If you're going to rightly represent the Lord, if you're going to rightly represent the truth of the Lord, whether, remember, to be an elder, you need to be blameless, above reproach. If not, don't be an elder. That's the implications, people. If you can't fit that, then don't worry about it. Sit down. The life, no matter what it may look like, if it has got a bad foundation, it will collapse and it will not take as much shaking as you seem to think it does. It will collapse. You can't build on rot and have it stand. And I see this over and over and over. The false teachers who cruised into Corinth after Paul left always wanted to be heard. Let me tell you something. A false gospel. A false teacher does not come up to you and say, let me tell you a lie. Here, how about I give you the path to hell? They don't do that. And to get the false into the church in Corinth, they had to move the Corinthian church from truth. They had to make them listen to error. They wanted to favors. They wanted to get rich. They were doing it for the money. Please understand that. It has never changed. They want the power. They want the prestige. And they will attempt to satisfy their your egos so their egos will be satisfied. To do this in Corinth, what did they have to do? Well, there was two alternatives. One, they could kill Paul. That would probably get you in trouble. Okay? Or they would attack the integrity of Paul. Get the people to lose their confidence in the shepherd. He was their teacher, 
Paul wanted to, and they wanted to teach other than what he taught, they had to do something to attack the teacher. <clears throat> to bring in error, to bring in untruth, they have to make Paul not trusted. It's either that or murdering. But just make him so he don't trust him. That's the target. And it was a massive assault on this man. I mean, remember, uh, there's a leader of false teachers. Okay, and he is the one who is pushing it forward, showing you all of the positives of the things I'm teaching. Okay, I believe this is the man spoken of in Corinthians 12. A messenger from Satan. A thorn in my flesh. I asked that God remove it. God said, no, my grace is sufficient. That's what I believe it is. I mean, I've had people say, well, I believe it's his wife. No, you guys, get over it, all right? I believe it's a messenger from Satan, and I believe it's a, a messenger from Satan is what? A false teacher. So he's got this false teacher who's running around behind him, trying to sow discord, trying to attack the Apostle Paul's integrity. Because if I can make you doubt that the integrity of the individual, then what are you going to do? I ain't going to listen to him. So I don't understand why some of these people follow people who've been busted. Anyway, there were many in the Corinthian church, I can't tell you what percentage, that were being convinced that Paul was not honest, that he was not genuine, that he had no integrity. Once you destroy his integrity, then you can replace that teacher with false teaching. Destroy Paul, the effective way, attack the integrity. Listen, I've been in this church almost 20 years as a senior pastor, and I, can, I know the times that my integrity has been assaulted. Okay, Because all I have to do is make you think that he can't be trusted, and then guess what? We can do whatever we want. Okay? If you're really honest with yourself, though, remember what Paul told Timothy? If you bring an accusation against an elder, what must you do? Two or more witnesses. There's a reason. Why? Who's the target, people? Everybody's got it in their mind that the new believer, we need to pray real hard for them. No, you don't. You pray for the men and the women who are standing up front saying, I will not be moved. Those are the ones you need to pray for. Why? They've got the big bullseye on them. If his integrity is gone, his usefulness is gone. If his usefulness is gone, his fruitfulness is gone. If those are gone, then how does he serve the Lord? This is important. See, Paul knew that he had to maintain his integrity, and he knew it wasn't for his sake. It was for God's sake. Why? What was his ambition? To be pleasing to the Lord. Okay? If I'm going to be pleasing to the Lord, then guess what? You've got to believe what I'm saying. The church must have integrity. 
If you're going to witness, if the witness of the church is that of dishonesty, what will the lost see? See, Paul knew that if he maintained his integrity, then the church would maintain its integrity. If the church and him maintained their integrity, then the lost would see the integrity. Paul understood that his integrity was irrelevant to him, but it did have an impact on the, gl- the glory of God in the manifestation of the church in the city in Corinth. Remember, Paul's big concern was he was just an old clay pot, an old earthen vessel that you took the waste of the house out in, easily replaced. I'm a nobody. But at the same time, he wants them to trust his integrity. Let my yes be a yes. Let my no be a no. Because it's for the sake of truth. The God of truth that he proclaimed. That's why this is crucial. It is important to Paul that people trust him as a man of integrity. If you are in the ministry, it is direly important that you are trusted as a person of integrity, that you can be trusted. I have had people come and share stuff with me that almost embarrass me. I'm a little tough to embarrass. And I never say nothing to nobody about it. I tell the guys who go through our elder training thing, I said, there are things that you are going to have to deal with that you can never share with your spouse. Well, that's not right. Want to bet? Try it for about 20 years and see where you end up. Because there's things that you will get exposed to that you're like, uh-oh. And then the people understand that you are a person who is honest and a person of integrity and they can share it and it ain't no big deal. A man who was in conduct and who did as his actions said, as what he said. What was absolutely consistent with what he said is absolutely consistent to what he did. Integrity. See, if they thought he was a hypocrite, all is lost. You don't trust him. You don't believe him. You don't follow him. That's the attack. That's what you see underlying everything in 2 Corinthians. If in ministry you need to do this, beware. The attack on your integrity is inevitable and it's coming. Why? We want to destroy the ministry. Okay, when you think about ministry, just think about service to the Lord. Whatever my service is to the Lord, if I can attack the integrity of the individual, then I've destroyed the ministry. Okay, two things I want to close with. I want you to think about. One, in the ministry. It's obvious that this issue is crucial. One, does the individual's life have integrity? Is the life consistent With what they proclaim. That's number one. Okay. There's no break in the integrity. Okay. Two. Key. Integrity can be assaulted. Okay. It can be assaulted without grounds. It can be assaulted without substance. 
It can be assaulted without basis. But it will be assaulted. When it happens, third thing, you can only do as the Apostle Paul did to defend it. You know what it is? Prayer. Prayer. I know a number of people in my own life who have attacked my integrity at different times and felt like they were very victorious and all the rest of it. I never defended myself. And then you go look at their lives right now and you find cataclysmic events that have happened in their lives. Okay? Awful stuff has happened. Okay? And it's... No, I don't pray. God struck him dead. <laughs> How about I send this one to you, Jesus? Or I don't do that. You know what? I, 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 it hurts. I can't even describe to you. But it hurts. And you bear scars. But if not for grace, there I go. You ask God for your protection. If you look in the book of Psalms over and over and over and over and over, you will find that the enemies don't prevail. Okay? I don't care how it looks, but the enemies don't prevail. They came after Paul. They came after Paul's integrity. If you step into the ministry, which you should, and be, have a zeal to do because you're saved, understand this, you become a target, and the first assault that they will put on you is, are you living what you're saying? So, that is the foundation for the integrity of ministry. If it bothers you and makes you nervous, let me tell you something, it should it should, because one of the things that I have watched is if you don't have to worry about it, it's still going to get attacked. If you have sincerity of heart, if you have integrity of heart, it will still be attacked. If you don't have that, God will expose it. So be warned. And I was like, can we do Philemon now? <laughs> okay. But I just want to share you with that because the Apostle Paul founded this church. And yet they were attacking his integrity. And people, you'll see it here in a little while, in a few, few years the way I'm going, uh, that people stood up. He made a surprise visit back to Corinth. And people stood up and accused him of giving a gospel for sexual favors. And you know what was amazing? No one defended him. That freaks me out. That freaks me out. This is Paul. This is Paul. So be warned. Integrity of ministry, it better be for the Lord, for the church, for truth, for the Savior, for righteousness, and for the lost. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for your provision. And Father, thank you for our brother Paul. Lord, I pray that each of us will come before your throne with an openness in our hearts and say, Father, help us. Help us to be as David. Walk in integrity of heart. 
Help us to be as Job, even though you slay me, I will bless the Lord. Father, help us to walk in a manner worthy of this amazing calling. And may it be to your glory and to your praise, to Christ and Christ alone. Amen.